Hi, my name is Alex Kelly, co-founder of Bright Flag, and this is In-House Outliers, a podcast where I interview those who've taken unconventional paths and challenged conventional notions of how in-house legal should operate. I'm joined today on the podcast by the remarkable Juliana Ugarelli. Juliana is Director of Global Legal Projects at Geringe and is an incredibly experienced in-house legal leader. Juliana, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for having me here. Juliana, let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? I am a Brazilian. I was born in Sao Paulo and lived my entire life here in Sao Paulo City. I've been traveling around the world, but at this time, being never had the opportunity to live abroad. I really love Brazil and my city and my culture, so... It is a beautiful country I've had the privilege of visiting. Why did you decide to study law in college? You know, we need to decide to pursue a career at a very young age, right? I was 17 when I need to decide to go to a career, to invest some time there. And I decided because I'm just in love about histories. I am a storyteller. I love to tell histories, to exchange experience and solve problems. So discussing the possibilities with my family. So we said, you are kind of a litigator already. You are all the time fighting, arguing, telling histories. So try to do law school. And I did. No one in my family is a lawyer, just me. No, no one. No one has law background or this experience. I am the only one. And I can say that it really fits to my, my behavior, to my, you know, way of, well, of life. And it was natural for me to be there. That's funny. I, my grandmother used to tell me I studied law as well. And uh, my grandmother from a young age told me I was very argumentative and I'd, I'd probably make a good, a good lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> my mom said it to me at the time. It is impossible to win a discussion with you. It's impossible. So you, you might go be a good lawyer. So your training started before law school. It was interesting doing research into your background to see that you were completing a legal internship with Cargill while you were in law school. I'd be interested to understand why you then decided to pursue a career in-house rather than joining a law firm after studying law in college. Maybe you have the same experience that I have because, okay, we need to decide to start a career, to go to university. And then we need to start really deep into a subject. In law, it is not an easy subject. In the previous years, we studied a lot of philosophy, sociology, and a lot of things that doesn't tell us a lot of things. And then I got this internship in Cargill. And there, I become totally crazy about law, really law. What, is, what means doing legal stuff, doing, and at that time, I joined Cargill back in 2002. And at that time, we had a very big issue in Brazil related to foreign exchange rate. And Cargill, they work with a hedge contracts for the agricultural products and everything. And I joined Cargill in the middle of this messy thing to fix like more than 3,000 contracts with local doctors, soybeans, and all kind of cotton, all kind of products, cocoa. 
and because of the hedge products. And for me, it was like a vision. So, wow, this is what I can do as a lawyer. And it's amazing. Fell in love about the profession and the challenges. And especially there, we haven't had any type of routine work. Every single day was different. A new challenge, a new way of thinking, new problem to solve. So then I started to think, this is what I want to do. Here is where I would like to be. And it was my history with law school and experience. My experience in law school, we didn't have that opportunity to do kind of internships in parallel with our studies in the same way necessarily. And, and it really was only when I, I, I joined the law firm after law school that I a kind of a light bulb went off for me where it went from the kind of theoretical, very academic experience in law school to a much more practical, fast-paced environment that sounds very similar in some ways in that no day was ever the same and there was just such a variety of work uh, to do that was hugely rewarding. I'd be interested to understand how your career and your role then developed at Cargill because I know you spent quite a bit of time there over the years. Yeah, so I started as an intern there in Cargill, until today, they have a, a huge law department. When I was there, we were about 30 in-house professional between lawyers, interns, and everything. At that time, the law in Brazil, because today we have a different internship law that doesn't allow person to work so, such a long time as an intern in the same company. But at that time, we haven't had this kind of a law. So that's why I spent a long time, which was great for me. And I had a great mentors there. And I've never in life said no to a challenge, to an opportunity. And I started to support a lawyer. His name was Gentil. Gentil. He's a Gentile person. And he was like an amazing person. And he was about to retire. And he needs someone to replace him representing the company in the associations to discuss the industry development, new regulations and everything. And it was my opportunity to become an effective employee, to replace and to support Dr. Jinchu with this job. It was like great experience because he was working for the company for over 25 years already. So imagine the amount of experience and histories and everything he had to share. And he was teaching me how to represent the company, trade associations, in all kinds of external stakeholders and acting with compliance, with social responsibility and everything. And again, I started doing that with no idea on what is that, what I was supposed to do, how I need to behave. But I had this person behind me teaching me everything. And then I said, this is where I want to be. I want to be here learning new things and developing new skills all the time. And they offered me the full-time employment. I was there for 10 years in total, counting the internship and the professional term, doing lots of different things, lots of different th things and developing these business-oriented mindset, I would say, as a lawyer. This was the differing show in Cargill at that time. It's wonderful to have a mentor at that early stage in your career 
who can help guide you. And I was lucky when I was working myself at a similar stage in my career in, in the law firm to have a mentor like that, who, who unfortunately is no longer with us. But I just learned so much from almost being his shadow in every way. Are there any lessons that have stayed with you from your mentor that you kind of still apply in your work today? Yes, I would say that, listen, and it is not a natural skill. I would say that few human beings has this skill as a natural one, right? Listening to the others. And this is something that we need to observe a lot because we are so willing to contribute, so willing to speak up that we are not listening to the others. So this was impatience. I do not see myself as a patient person, but I am recognized by this. So everyone said, ah, you are so patient. You can wait for that and that to say, no, really, it is not natural for me, but I've been developing because then I learned that this is, this help with persuasion because our work as in-house lawyers and as lawyers in general is to persuade others, right? And I learned from Dr. Jinchu that when you are really listening to the others, it's more likely you will be able to contribute or to influence more or to persuade more. And other learning, it was to really be on side of your client, side by side. At that time in Cargill, we had a like one quarter of a floor. It was the legal department with that shelves, a lot of books, beautiful books and everything. The people was afraid to enter into the law department because they are the smarter guys in the company. We were side by side with the president. And I was one of the first lawyers that was sitting in the middle of the business, not in my lawyer's office anymore. So I moved to the middle of the business without a, an office with doors, and I was there leaving the business with them. It was a great experience. And until today, when I have the option to not choose having a, an office with a door and a fancy office, I prefer to stay in the middle of the people. I think there's, there's so much great advice there. I love that idea, not just partnering with the business and paying lip service to that, but physically placing yourself side by side with those colleagues that you're supporting and working with and being a proactive partner of. And, and that combined with actually listening to them and hearing them and that informing how you influence their decisions and, and help guide them, I think is is incredibly wise advice and it's surprising how rare it is to find it actually lived and followed i think there's uh, there's great insight in that you ultimately then juliana moved on to join dow agrosciences leading litigation management for them for a period of time could you maybe explain what attracted you to dow and then how you you think about managing complex litigation of course so at that time, I had my first contact with legal ops or legal projects concept working in Cargill. So we had a training there. I was able to become a green belt in Lean Six Sigma and to start thinking on this more structural approach and everything. And then, you know, this agribusiness here in Brazil, it is a kind of everyone knows everyone. 
we know we had a, a very good network there and I received a call to say, hey, we have a messy situation here in, in our department. We need someone that could organize our litigation. And I said, no, oh, but I'm here at Cargill, I'm okay. Uh, I will pursue my career here. I will retire here. And then this person, a great friend of mine, insisted, no, we need you. You are such an organized person. You have this business-oriented mindset, and we need to move our team from this pure technical skills to, to be more business-oriented. And it was impossible to refuse the offer, and I stepped in to put a project in place. It was a very limited time, like eight months, now nine months, because then I, I received another proposal. We can talk about it in a few minutes approach to manage complex litigation. And there at Down, I was introduced to, wow, very complex litigation from different types of accusation, millionaire, billionaire litigation. And again, my experience by sitting with the business and learning from there was the difference. Because, okay, we have a litigation, but we want to win or at least reduce the damage, right? But I want to understand my client's expectations and I need to explain them the consequences of that. And sometimes they are not legal or financial consequences. They can be reputational consequences that for a company like Dow AgroSciences is huge or cargo brands like that. They are Sentinel brands. And again, sitting with them, translating from legal to business, it was the difference there because I was not managing complex litigation alone as a lawyer. We all were managing it and thinking on ways to reduce our exposure together as a company, as a team. I was just facilitating the, the communication. A roadblock, a challenge, is to explain it to the outside legal counsels as well. Sometimes when you use less lawyering language and approach, there is a bias. Like maybe this girl, this young lawyer is not that knowledgeable on our technical work. No, no, this is not the case. I'm a translator here. And we need to work together in order to have better results, right? This was my approach during this short period of managing. And then I, I delivered the project. I delivered a new process and a new way of managing litigation there. That is still valid. They are, of course, improving that, but I know they are still using the work, the process I started to, to develop back in 2012, 13. And it strikes me from the conversation so far, Juliana, that in much the same way your family maybe identified you had all of the skills to be a successful lawyer, you also have this business-focused mindset, this understanding of how to bring stakeholders along with you, communicate with them, speak their language, implement better systems and processes. Much of that is at the heart of what makes somebody successful as a legal operations leader and driving kind of transformation 
and change management within a legal team, which we'll go on to, to speak about. So it sounds like even in that role in Dow, that there was aspects of that were coming in and implementing and improving existing systems and processes. You referenced the fact that you then went on to join Danaher, and I think I understand you were managing the legal function for Brazil at Danaher. What did that mean for you in terms of that step change to kind of owning the whole legal function for Brazil? And how were you interacting with the legal leadership globally in Danaher? It was, again, sometimes uh, I, I was there working for John, had a great project in hand. I have no plans to let down a part and move to a new challenge. But then I had Hunter here in Brazil called me and say, hey, I have a project and we know each other. This is, I had Hunter that I, I always kept contact since my times working for Cargill. And he said, and you are such a the perfect person to step in because Danaher, they are creating their headquarters in the region, in Latin America. They are holding company and they are opening this holding office here in the region. They are looking for someone. They have this general counsel responsible for whole, the whole region. And they are looking for someone then, that can manage Brazil because Brazil alone, they have 20 companies and no legal, no in-house function at all in any one of the companies. And then it is forming its group, its corporate group. And I said, why me? I don't have this experience. I've been working as a senior lawyer for cargo. Now I'm here managing litigation. No, because you have such good communication skills. You have this ability to attract people, to establish, to build bridges. I never, I will never forget this expression. And I said, okay, let's try. I will, let me talk with these Danaher people. Let's see what we can have. And then I was hired. And the project there was to organize a brand new legal function for the company. I had no experience at all. Again, I was entering into a project that I will learn new skills. I will develop new things during the experience. And I was there. We did it. It was great. The team was great. We had a very good relationship among the corporate team, not only legal, but also internal audit, HR, the president of the holding company and everything. My challenge was the companies that it was established, Danaher companies established in Brazil, they had legal departments in their headquarters. I was in the middle of the communication because the companies in Brazil, they were not receiving legal services due to language, barriers, culture, time zones, difference, whatever. And I was connecting the dots and creating these relationships. Also, already without knowing that, already developing legal operations by providing standard documents, standard way of working. And Danaher has something very special because they have her business system based on the Toyota model. They hired Toyota back in the beginning of the 90s to develop the system to them. And I could use these tools to support and to create this legal function for Brazil. 
where I was there. That's further illustrating my point that you had legal operations in your DNA to some extent, joining Danaher, having a blank canvas to build a legal function from the ground up and do it in the best way possible, building bridges and relationships with all of those key stakeholders that you referenced, and then putting in place better processes and more standardization. And in terms of your interaction with the kind of other legal leaders, whether it was the group general counsel or others, how did that team operate or what was your kind of reporting line? So first of all, I need to take my briefcase and travel around. It is human interaction. It is unreplaceable. There is nothing that can replace face-to-face conversation. Just to have a coffee, simple coffee, say, hey, this is me. I'm a person like you. I'm not here trying to do anything bad I'm here to support so first of all meet people it was the key driver and we all was under the same process because Danaher has a standard process per se and the interaction was to you know how to translate things again translation not only about language, but Mm -hmm. also culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can say that there at Donaher, I could develop humble and maybe experience these non-bias thing to think, oh, okay. So this person is based in Europe, in in Germany. We had a very big company there. And this is how things works there different from Brazil. How can I explain? How can I translate that? I am a person interested in other cultures, Mm -hmm. in other way of thinking, but sometimes other people are not willing to know new things or to learn new things. And how can you communicate that? How can you explain that? It is one rock at a time to build, you know, a wall, one rock at a time to find the, the, the correct tone. I, I said to my husband another day, you know, I'm thinking seriously about start psychologist, psychology. I will start psychology because this is, for me, it is what is missing to read people, to understand how we can reach out and being humble to say, hey, I'm here to support. I want to support. We all work for the same company. We all want to do things right. How can we do it together? And it was like this to how to manage all the stakeholders globally at different stages. And what I did, again, using my legal ops natural thinking, I started to develop KPIs. And then I started a competition because, of course, as you can imagine, I faced a lot of resistance. But I had good results from the companies that it was not resisting. And I started to show in graphs, in numbers. And then it's almost impossible to deny the benefits of having that. Fascinating, Juliana. And out of curiosity, can you recall any of the kind of KPIs that you were using at that time? Of course, time of response on contracts, time of response when using our templates, costs. I negotiated fees for contracts, like fixed price, 
and I was able to calculate the conversion of the fees in benefit of the business and the percentage of the contract review compared to the revenue of the product of the sale. And then I started to show them also in litigation. Labor litigation is quite easy to demonstrate benefits. So settlements, costs, and the conversion of litigation into best practice from HR. So I started to demonstrate this kind of KPIs like low-hanging fruits to the team. And then the global legal departments, they started to think like that. Hmm, I think this girl can help me. This girl can help me to fulfill my personal objective. So let's work together. Let's build the relationship. Let's have a dinner when I will visit Brazil or when we have our next global conver conversion and everything. Again, patient. Numbers, facts, and patience. It's really so fascinating because I think you're kind of your own personal philosophy people can take so much from that. And number one, as you said, the importance of building relationships and spending time listening to people and understanding them. Number two, I think you just have an innate understanding of the importance of seeing the world from the business's perspective and what is going to resonate with them, what is going to be in fact impactful for them. And then number three, using those relationships and that understanding of the business to to start to kind of influence the direction and achieve your objectives as that kind of bridge for the global legal function into Brazil, where you were able to have empathy and translate things and localize them in a way that made sense, but then also use data and metrics to sell, tell a story and to start to drive the right behaviors. It really is remarkable. And I'm interested to understand, were you using any legal technology at that point in time, or was this all things you were just doing yourself? Doing myself with Excel, Word, Outlook, and my ideas, no legal technology. It's amazing. And I think something within that really stood out to me was that the importance of empathy for different cultures, different norms within different areas and regions, seeing things from different perspectives. And I think in global organizations, that can get lost sometimes and result in kind of siloed ways of doing things or a lack of good communication. And certainly as we've grown at Bright Flag, it's something we have been very conscious of as we have a kind of global team in multiple regions now that having that empathy for those different perspectives and backgrounds and way of doing things and trying to get that balance right between one company culture, but understanding that there are nuances and individuals themselves are very different as well. Yeah, and, and they are, right? This is something we can't change. We have the company culture. It is what it is. But if we want to go global, if we want to work on a global environment, we need to understand that everyone has its particularities. It is what it is. We had a colleague now in Saudi, and she's the first woman professional in our Saudi office at getting it. And she's there. And it is fascinating how she's doing everything. So she has her traditions and we are respecting her. So if she said she see if it will be any men in the meeting and if it's the meeting, so then if there is a man in the meeting, she will use the bell because she's not able to show her face. But last week 
she was attending uh, the original meeting and yeah. the team was in the bar having cocktails and she's not mm-hmm. able to do that because it is her tradition mm-hmm. and no problem. But she said, no, I will be here drinking some Coke because I want to be here yeah. with you. And it is a simple thing that we just need to understand and respect. No rocket science, but it's not natural. We need to want to do that. We need to think about it. We know that it's not natural. It's something that we can develop. I think that is so true. And just starting from that place of empathy and understanding and Certainly here at Bright Flag, we really see that kind of diversity of backgrounds, perspectives within the team it, it is a real business strength. And it's really important to protect and guard closely. And I'm interested, you mentioned that you then went on to join Getting and you were initially leading legal for LATAM. And to your point, you're the first person we've had the pleasure of speaking with on in-house outliers who has that background leading legal in South America and in Latin America. I'd be interested to understand what the kind of fundamental change was firstly in going from roles where you were focused on Brazil to focusing on LATAM in its entirety and the perspective that you need to be successful as a legal leader in that region. Yeah, this is a great question. So I was there at Danaher doing my job. It's all set there. I was there for five years. And then I decided to move to getting it because I would like to be closer to the business. Because at then I was part of the corporate team, the headquarters and everything, doing more organizational work, more from the holding company perspective. And then I got this call from getting it. And again, no legal function in-house, it will be the first lawyer to build the law function this time for Latin America. And I was involved in some Latin American issues while working in Denaher, of course, to support my boss there at the time. I was traveling around the region and everything, but at this time I will be leading the function and starting the function at that time. Getting it hasn't have any law department in the headquarters in Sweden, no law department in the company. They were starting to build the internal function. And I said, oh, again, a new project to, to start from the scratch. And here in Latin America, we have a fight as women in leadership position. It is not easier. There is a lot of bias there. And this challenge was for me special. So I will, again, create a legal function. I can print my personality there. I can bring my experience to this company because they have nothing in-house. And expanding it to Latin America, work with Mexico, Colombia, I will be able to demonstrate that there is no issue by having a woman in a leadership position. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy at all. I'm sure that if it was a man doing that, no resistance at all. But here we still have this kind of bias to break down. And this year in May, we had a very huge trade show in, in Brazil with, from the med, med tech industry. And the managing director for Colombia was here 
in Brazil and I was there visiting the trade show just to prestige the company, the products and everything. And he told me, you were brave starting this whole thing with us. And we fight a lot. We argued a lot, but I can say that I'm missing you because you bring to us a new way of thinking of our businesses. And today I feel much more safer doing business with the legal department support. And we are missing you. I say, really? Are you sure that you are missing me? Because I can return at any time. And he said, yes, please join our meetings. Uh, ask the questions you used to ask and say, you see, Rodrigo, it worth, it worth our, our fights in the, in the past. It takes trailblazers like you, Juliana, to make it easier for the next generation of female leaders coming through. It sounds like it was difficult, but you have surpassed expectations in what you've achieved in all of the organizations that you have been in. I'm interested to understand what it has meant for you on a personal level, working for a company that makes ventilators and medical devices, which obviously played such a critical role during the pandemic and impacted directly so many people's lives and was front page news, maybe in a way that wasn't the case before. I, my, my wife worked for Pfizer, so I've kind of seen this a little bit from her perspective as well. And my father was very ill with COVID and nobody was kind of untouched in a whole host of ways by the pandemic. I'd be interested to understand for you what it has meant when not only are you leading the way as, as a female leader in an industry and in a region, but also that you're working for a company that's having such a massive impact on the world. For me, it was magic to be here during this pandemic and this whole history about ventilators, because we are really walking the talk when getting it says we are here for save lives. This is true. The factory was able to produce 10,000 ventilators per year, but then they did an agreement with Scania and Volvo to produce 25,000 ventilators in 2020 to provide support the world with this demand. And it wasn't only about produce and like manufacture the ventilators, also to care about logistics. We had a lot of logistics issues during pandemic to deliver the products and train the hospital people on how to use it because we need people knowing how to manage the technology, knowing how to use the product. And it was magic because every single person in the company was committed with this project. I supported doing contracts, reviewing public tenders, documents, make sure we have the proper clause, terms and conditions in a logistic contract to make sure we will deliver the products on time. Not because we would like to earn money, but because we were there to save lives. Also with ventilators was a big case, but we have also the ECMO technology, which in some critical cases saves the life. It was beautiful to see the whole team working together to train, because, you know, in our market, we have these questions related to healthcare professionals and the relationship with the healthcare professionals. And for these two technologies, we need to train the healthcare professionals to provide training 
better practices. It is a therapy and it can be applicable in different ways depending on the patient. So we have experts that will teach, will explain to the professionals and the whole teams were committed to do it in a compliant way, legally and compliant. So it was very special because, you know, during this type of experience, you can feel if the company really walked the talk, its values, its purpose. And it's amazing to live like this, to see that it's real, what they are publishing in the website, what we have written in the company's walls, it's real. We are doing that for real. And yeah, it was special. It's remarkable. And I'm sure it made it very easy to get out of bed in the morning or give everything to the role when you know the impact you're making and how rewarding it is to be a part of an organization, as you say, that is truly living its its mission and its values and making such a massive impact in the world. Shifting gears slightly, I know a year into the role where you were leading LATAM, you then also took on responsibility for global legal projects, which sounds to me quite a lot like a legal operations role. Yes. I'd be interested to understand what your kind of core areas of responsibility are leading global legal projects. Yeah, so I got my boss, uh, our legal and compliance EVP. She was reorganizing the team globally, rethinking the organization. And she called me and said, hey, no pressure, but would you like to step in in this position? You have two minutes to decide. I said, okay, what I can lose? Nothing, right? I will gain new skills, new experience. So let's do that. And she said, no, because you, you already did it for Latam. Your region is organized. You have everything we need to have at a global level. So I had control on everything, KPIs, outside legal counsels, letter of engagement, everything. As I told you, never had a global legal function, legal department and in-house support and everything. We are a young team. And I was invited because of what I did in Latin America to this position. And my core areas of responsibility at this moment in this first stage is to organize financials, finance management, and outside legal counsel management, vendor management, and contract management, because we have a unique opportunity here in which sales, they want to implement and pay for the contract management system. They own the project, they are on the drive seat of the project and we are supporting them. So for me, it's unique. We need to take this opportunity and uh, we just implemented a contract management system globally for three types of agreements. So we decided to start with only three types of agreements because we want to go global here. And now we are assessing the expansion of the tool. And I think what you touched on there is so important, that idea of you have some foundational pillars and projects that you need to undertake, as it sounds like you are, starting with somewhat of a blank canvas. So needing better financial management needing better contracting processes in addition to that. And in a kind of truly global organization like GetInge, why do you think kind of centralized systems and processes are so important? 
because this is the way we can speak the same language across the team and make sure we will respecting. I, I don't like to to say we will be in compliance with the company policies. I prefer the approach to respect the company processes and policies. So this for me is the way I can show finance that I respect their processes, that I am attend observing what they need from me to perform their job. And also to facilitate our teams or to remove from our teams, the administrative work. Mm -hmm. Because if you will implement systems and processes regionally or locally, so they will need to take care of that. If you will go global, so then someone can support with the process. Yeah, and that's my experience. It's most effective to take a global approach with these initiatives. Now, you may have a phased approach to implementing in different teams or regions, but having a, a global perspective certainly in the area of financial management, which we would know intimately here at Bright Flag, gives you the kind of centralized visibility that you need, as you say, ensures everybody is following and respecting appropriate behaviors to control and forecast costs. I'm interested to understand as you transitioned into this role where you're kind of owning global legal projects, essentially owning legal operations for the whole organization, are there skills from your legal background that have proven particularly useful, first of all? I am quite recognized by my contractual skills and negotiation. So this is something that uh, I've been contributing a lot and mm -hmm. I know that counted for this position. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I guess that is more on my relationship skills, communication and everything. Mm -hmm. Of course, contractual and negotiation skills, they count. Also litigation. I, I used to be involved in a lot of litigations, which is good. Because, I don't know, for me, the secret of our good litigation is not to litigate. Yes. So. 100%. Yeah. So that kind of having that subject matter expertise, contract negotiation presumably helped in implementing a contract management system and understanding the nature of those negotiations. Likewise, if you're looking, as you have in the past, to streamline litigation processes, having a good understanding of that, and, and equally, as you say, more proactively trying to mitigate risks of litigation happening in, in the first place, um, working with the business with better policies or processes can be really impactful. I suppose the other side of, of the question then is, are there any areas in kind of owning legal operations where you found there was a particularly steep learning curve, which was kind of outside of your comfort zone of what you had done in the past where you've had to develop your skills? Yes, I've been studying a lot on that. I'm really focused on diplomacy. Why is that? Because I, I used to, why diplomacy and not other name? Because diplomacy is when you agree to do something together with someone. You are joining efforts. So I, I see myself developing this diplomacy skills, language, persuasion, but persuasion in a positive way. How can I bring people with me? Or how can we enter into a consensus to get things done? And the second thing I am developing is to influence people. Because I'm, I'm good in doing things. 
but now I am in a position in which I need to influence people to do things. And I've been studying that and noticing that trust is a key element because you need to trust the person will do. Not exactly as you should do or you would do, but you need to trust people and tell and not tell, but let them know, let them understand that you are trusting them. And those are the, the areas I've been developing now for myself, for my personal growth. I appreciate you being so open and honest, Juliana, in, in sharing that feedback, because it is a very different dynamic, as you say, having to bring people on a journey with you, get their buy-in, it be a shared approach rather than directing them to do something or doing something yourself. And, and that ultimately leads, in my experience, working with legal departments, legal leadership to much more effective projects and better outcomes there is alignment and buy-in and everybody's on the same page and that is as, as you kind of highlighted that is almost often the hardest part of the job in legal operations is those soft skills or those things that are less about legal domain knowledge or financial knowledge or technical skills i'm interested i'm kind of mindful of time i think we've covered so much ground here and it's been such a, a remarkable insight into your career journey the impact you've made and a unique perspective i have to say and a, and a refreshing one and one that is incredibly effective in in all you've achieved in in your career so far i'm interested in understanding outside of the world of legal outside of the world of legal operations what you enjoy doing in, in your spare time wow yeah i have a son he's four so i spend a lot of time playing avengers playing hot wheels a lot of things like that puzzles now we are in a phase to bicycle so we we used to bicycle a lot during pandemic, you know, I'm not a fight person. I need to do something. I, I need to be doing something all the time. And during pandemic, I decided to learn. I don't know why I decided to learn a new manual art craft. And do I started doing crochet to do small toys, amigurumis. That is a Japanese technique that do toys. And I now I'm engaged in this project to do amigurumis for poor kids here in Brazil. So I donate, I do a lot of the toys to donate to these kids. And I also do photography as a hobby. So sometimes for very special people, I do photographs. So this last weekend I was doing my causing pregnant photography so we do this pregnant photograph for her and she's super happy and everything this is things that I used to do in my spare time also three months ago my son he convinced my husband and I to rescue a dog from the street very very bad dog sick dog he's now super good and we are taking care of the, the dog so it's also cost time well, Juliana, it sounds like there's never a dull moment. I have a three-year-old daughter and a two-year-old daughter. We're in a Spider-Man phase at the moment and we're on, on the scooter now, not quite at the bike yet. So uh, I don't know how you have time for all of the other wonderful volunteering and hobbies that you have on top of raising your son and now having a dog in the household as well. But it, it has been such a pleasure, Juliana, speaking with you and learning so much from you. And I'm really, really appreciative that you've taken so much time with us today.
Thank you, Alex. Thank you so much. I'm Alex Kelly, host of the In-House Outliers podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Brightflag, an AI-powered legal operations platform where corporate legal departments gain visibility into operations, maximize productivity, and engage with outside counsel strategically. If you like this episode, then you can find more information in our show notes. If you want to hear more, then you can also find more episodes at brightflag.com forward slash legal hyphen operations hyphen podcast. Thanks again for listening to the In-House Outliers podcast. We'll see you again next time.